As we come to the scripture this morning, let me ask you please to turn to 1 John in chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, I want to read um, as I read last Sunday, but read again this passage beginning with verse 18 through uh, verse 27. Uh, 1 John in chapter 2. You'll find it printed in your bulletins. Uh, if you have a Bible, that may be helpful this morning. I'm going to bounce around a bit. Uh, it may be helpful for you to see uh, some of these other passages um, that help us as well. Upon finding that, let's pray. This prayer is entitled The Prayer of Illumination. It's a prayer that we pray uh, trusting that the Holy Spirit, who is in us and with us, will help us see this passage, not just with the eyes in our heads, but with the eyes of our hearts, to really see it and believe it. So let's pray. Father in heaven, now as we come to your word, I pray that you would impress upon us that uh, this is you speaking. These aren't the words of men, but the very word of God. And so I pray that we would take it as such and that we would receive it in this, this Father, that this passage would thrill our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, First John chapter 2 verse 18. Children, it's the last hour, and as you have already heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists has, has, have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you, to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you. Abide in him. And then we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I want to read a couple of verses because we began this last week and we dealt with some of the, some of the things that might cause our, our, our ears to pick up a bit this last hour in Antichrist and all that. But what I want you to hear this week from this passage is thrilling, really. And each of us as believers in Jesus each of us needs to hear this and grab a hold of it, even as it grabs a hold of us. Verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. And then verse 27, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide 
abide in him. Now, do you think about yourself like that? As a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, do you think about yourself as one who has received this anointing? We don't talk like that very often, at least in Presbyterian circles. But, 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 but it's true. It's right here in the, in the passage. I can't avoid it tonight. Jesus, uh, John is, is contrasting those who stayed, that is, those who hold to the truth of Christ, as opposed to those who left, who are antichrists, who have followed the spirit of antichrist, that is, those who have denied Jesus, that he is the Christ, that he has come in the flesh to make atonement for our sins as us for us. They denied that. They left. We don't know if they were forced out, if they were disciplined and left. How they left, we don't know about that. But they're no longer there. So John's now addressing those who have stayed. And he's saying, he's, he's trying to give them assurance that they, they really do belong to Christ. That's what this letter is all about some really hard sayings and we've already dealt with some and we'll deal with some more as chapter three picks up. But, but he wants to give them assurance above all else. And so what he's saying to them, he's saying, but, but you, right? A very significant but in the scripture. But you as contrasted to those who left. You, how's he put it? Have been anointed, verse twenty by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge that is you know, you know the truth about Jesus. And he says, this anointing that you receive from him abides in you, that is, it's, it's staying, it's home, it isn't going anywhere. This is, this is, this is in you, for you, this, this anointing. And so questions pop into my mind as I read this passage. Like, who's the one who anoints? And, and what or who is this anointing? And, and what knowledge do I have because I have this anointing? And what does it mean that I, I don't need anybody to teach me, right? I mean, all those things come to, come to mind. Now again, the reason that John is laying this out is because he's trying to give them assurance. He's trying to, to convince them that they really do belong to the Lord, that they really are his, that they really do have eternal life. And, and so he's sharing with them about this anointing. And he says it's the last hour. And by that, he just simply means we're between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. And he's saying we know in that time period, in this time period, the time period in which he lived and we still live, he knows that oppression will come. He knows that, that there are forces of evil against us. He classifies on the one hand the world, you see, not God's good creation and all that, we're to love of God's good creation. But this mindset that's, a, that's, a, that's against him, this mindset that puts itself up as God, puts human beings as the measure of, and the judge of, of all things. As we said, it's God who's the one who's to define us, but the world wants to define us its own way. The Lord defines us as those created in his his image to reflect him, to glorify him. He created us male and female, that we would live out in such a way. I did a wedding yesterday, so I have this on my mind, that a man should leave his father and mother united to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. And Paul says, this is a profound mystery. Anybody who's married thinks, yes, I know what you mean. And Paul says, no, you don't, because what I mean is that this is about Christ and the church. This is now 
how he is glorified in the context even of married life. Single people glorify him as single people. Married people have this opportunity to glorify as a married couple. And, and so we're to glorify him. That's how God defines us. And then God directs us that we're to obey his commands, you see. And then we're to delight in him. That is to say, we're to, to delight in how he defines and directs us. We're to delight in the life that he gives to us. But the world says, no, 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 let, let me define you. Let the world define you. Define yourself by your own passions and your own inclinations. Direct yourself by what you want and what you think. And delight in yourself, you see. It, it's, it's different. It's wrong. So the world is against us. And, and then this false teaching is against us in all variety of fashions and forms, primarily as it attacks the truth about Jesus. That's, that's really the bottom line. Who is this one, Jesus? You see, the Christ that is, you see, the, the, the Messiah promised in the Old Covenant from the Old Testament, the, the one who is the prophet, the priest, the king, Christ, Christos, the one who is the anointed one. And as he has come in the flesh, as we have it in First John later, is he as us, for us, to take our guilt upon himself that we might live, you see, our representative before God. And these antichrists deny that. So, so John says, here's what protects you. Bottom line, let me get to it. It's the anointing. This anointing that you have received from the Holy One. Well, who's the Holy One? Well, that expression is used in the Bible, you can imagine, of God. But it's used in the New Testament of Jesus. Um, you remember when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, uh, he spoke of this one who would be conceived in her and he would be holy, the son of God. Fascinatingly, this always fascinates me, that the demons always knew who Jesus was. His disciples didn't <laughs> most of the time, but the demons always knew because they saw the battle, they saw it. And so when the demon-possessed man sees Jesus, he says, what, what are you gonna do with us Holy One of God. Jesus is the Holy One. On another occasion, the disciples really did know who Jesus was. In John chapter 6, as Jesus gives some hard sayings, and some who had been following him leave, he looks at the 12, and he says, you're going to stay. And, and, and Peter basically says, where can we go? We've come to believe that you're the Holy One, the Son of God. And so it's the Holy One who anoints. It's the Anointed One who anoints. In fact, there's a bit of a play on words here because the word uh, Christ, Christos, means anointed one. Uh, anointing, uh, the word there is just charisma. And so the anti-Christos don't have the charisma, but the Christos ones have it. We have the anointing from Christ. Now what is it? Better, who is it? You remember in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil. We have various passages that show that. Jesus, who is the anointed one, the prophet, priest, and king, was anointed as well, but not with oil, but with the Holy Spirit. In Acts in chapter 10, if you're quick, you can beat me there. In Acts in chapter 10, Verse 36, Peter's preaching, and he says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, 
He is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He was anointed, Jesus was, with the Holy Spirit. And you remember, on the day of his baptism, as his ministry began, you know what happened. He came up, and the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. And the Father said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so that was the anointing, that was the anointing. Jesus received the Holy Spirit. And since we're in him, you see, we're united with Christ, then we too have it. We have this anointing. And the anointing is the Holy Spirit who comes upon, who comes upon us. And we saw it on that day of Pentecost, right? What happened? The Holy Spirit was poured out upon believers on that, on that day. The Holy Spirit poured out upon them. In fact, in 1 John in chapter 4 and verse 13, we'll come to this in about six months. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, John writes, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. We know it. Why? Because his, his spirit has been given to us. Notice what we have in 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians and chapter 1 and verse 21. The apostle writes, And it's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Right? And that he's, he's given us, he's anointed us with the Spirit, put a seal on us, and his seal says, you're mine. But this seal, this is authentic. And, and, and we know that because he's given his Spirit as, as a guarantee. Uh, some translations would have a deposit guaranteeing or, or, or like a down payment, if you will. That's the sense of it. That he says, listen, I'm giving you this. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to assure you that you really are mine, and I'm good for the rest. I'm good for everything I've promised. And you should know that, and you do know that. Why? Because if there's anointing, the Holy Spirit, how's he put it in Romans chapter 8? That we know that we're his. Why? Because of the witness of his spirit with our spirit. There's something going on here. The Holy Spirit of God really is in us. And he says, this will, this will teach you, this will give you knowledge, he will enable you to persevere. Now again, no surprise that it's the Holy Spirit who teaches, who gives, who gives knowledge. Turn again, if you're quick, John chapter 15. In verse 26, Jesus on the night that he was betrayed when he was with his disciples, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. In other words, the, the, the work of the Spirit primarily is to glorify Jesus. We see, when we're talking rightly and lovingly and joyfully and acceptingly about Jesus, the Holy Spirit is at work. When we're not talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit isn't at work. When we're concentrating our attention on Jesus, the Holy Spirit, you see, is at work when we're blessing him. Notice then in chapter 16 of John, verse 12, he 
He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now that was a promise made first and foremost to those in that room, to those apostles. And see, it's, it's the spirit at work in them to teach them that enabled them to teach us, that enabled them to write the scripture, that enabled them to, in a, in a, in a unique and infallible way, to, to lay out for us all that is true. And so how does then the Holy Spirit teach us? He teaches us by way of his, of his word. And you see, that's the very point. You see, the ones that had left the church there, to whom John writes, were ones that thought they had special knowledge that no one else had. And John's writing to them. He said, no, 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 no. You all have it. This isn't special. I mean, not to believers it isn't. We all have it. You can't say this guy has the anointing and this woman doesn't or this woman does and this guy doesn't. No, all of you, he says, believers, you all have this anointing. So don't listen to anybody who comes and says, I have a special one and I know more than the apostles knew about Jesus. Let me tell you this. He says, no, 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 don't listen. Because you see, the knowledge that we all have isn't knowledge about everything. Like, it isn't knowledge about auto mechanics, right? It isn't knowledge about biology or physics or business or politics or any of that. We don't have all. If we did, then I'd be way better off than I am when my car breaks down. So it isn't all knowledge about everything, but it's knowledge about Jesus. That we have it, and you see... It requires a work of the Holy Spirit for us to see it. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. This man, Pharisee, comes to Jesus at night and talks to him about the kingdom of God and all that sort of thing, and Jesus sees right through him, and he says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, unless you're born of the Spirit, you'll never be able to see the kingdom of God. Because you see, our sin causes us to reject all that is true about God. And I've asked you this question before, but it's a good question. I ask myself this question all the time. I ask myself, why is it that I believe this and other people don't? I know people way smarter than me who don't believe it. I know people who had better upbringings than me, even though I had a good upbringing, better ones, and and yet... They don't believe it. All the things that you would think would cause a person to believe in God, they have, I haven't, but I believe it and they don't. What's the, what's the deal? And the deal is for reasons unknown to me other than the love of God for me in a way that's incomprehensible is that his spirit came upon me, gave me new life so that I could hear the gospel and, and believe it. And so you see what's, what's going on here is this Holy Spirit that's, that's with which we're anointed within us, 
hears the word, which is his word, and we say, yes, I believe it. And, you know, this isn't to make us proud by any means, right? I mean, how can I make us proud? I've just admitted I couldn't. I just admitted that there's no way in me that I could, that that everything in me was against it until the Spirit gave me life. So I could see it. It took away all my resistance. However you want to say it. You can look through your testimony and you, you can describe it from your perspective, but there's something within you that, that says, but, but why did all this happen? How did I see it at that point? Well, it's because of the Spirit of God who is indeed upon you, this anointing of his Spirit. And so John says, but the anointing you received from him abides in you. You've no need that anyone should teach you. And what he's saying there isn't that there shouldn't be teachers. I mean, John's teaching them right now as he's writing this. And, and Jesus gives gifts to the church, and some of that is teachers. He says, you don't need anyone to teach you anything different than the apostles have taught. Anyone who teaches you must be teaching that which the apostles taught. That's why John opened up his Uh, letter by saying that which was from the beginning which we've heard which we've seen with our eyes which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life the life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the father and was made manifest to us that which we've seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us our fellowship is with these apostles and with all who believe that Jesus is the Christ, you see. We're all united together. So Paul write, or John writes here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning, that is what you were taught from the beginning, abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us. Eternal life. John's saying to them, don't be afraid. There are deceivers out there. These antichrists. And you get the sense that he's saying a day will come when there'll be the antichrist, the one in whom all this is embodied and the world will go after. Have you ever wondered about that? If you wonder, what if I'm alive during that period of time? Will I be one of the ones deceived? John says, no. How do I know? The, because you've been anointed by the Holy One. How, how do I know? <laughs> I've been anointed by the Holy One. What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that he was the son of God? Do you believe that he was God in the flesh? That the word became flesh and dwelt among us? Do you believe he made peace through the blood of his cross? Because as us for us, he took 
our guilt upon himself, paid the penalty for our sin, and then rose in declaration that it had been paid and that it's his righteousness is ours. It all revolves around him. It's all about him. And you hear that and you're compelled. No matter what else is going on, you're compelled to believe that. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And that anointing abides in you. And it abides in you so that his word will abide in you. So we look at this table and we think of Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread after giving thanks. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do you see it? It was given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, this too, he gave to his disciples, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Do you see it? His blood shed for you. Set through your soul. You know that's your only hope. You've been anointed by the Holy One. Let's pray, Father. I pray now that you would, by your grace, take this bread and juice and set it apart in such a way that we'll know that we're in the very presence of Jesus. By his spirit, he's here. Bless this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll take your little packets and take the wafer from the top. And if I may just say these words of Jesus, this is my body, which is given for you. Let's eat together. And if you open the cup, if I may say these words of Jesus, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together. As we've come to the Lord's table, let us pray the prayer the Lord has given to us, praying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Please receive this as God's benediction. And now to him, who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before his glorious presence and that with great joy, to only wise God and Savior Jesus Christ, to be glory, dominion, majesty, and power, both now and always.